I can still remember my mom sitting me down with an Excel document and being like, you know, take a, I know this is how much you signed for, but here's about how much is going to come out because of taxes. And here's how much you could actually spend. And I was like, that's it. Like of all this money I signed for, I can only spend this much. I'm Jim Huffman. And this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have Jacob Turner. At 18 years old, he signed a $5.5 million deal to play professional baseball. After 18 years in the majors, whether that's here in the US or overseas, he saw the highs and lows of coming into money and getting bad financial advice. So he launched his own investment firm to help athletes and entrepreneurs navigate how to manage their newfound wealth. We talk about his journey from pitcher to CEO, common mistakes to watch out when managing your money or getting financial advice, and how he used Twitter and his baseball career to scale his business. So if you're interested at the intersection of sports, money, and entrepreneurship, then I think you might enjoy this episode. So here is Jacob Turner. All right. Today on the podcast, I have a former professional baseball player, Turned financial advisor, if that's the category we want to say, who also has a really strong Twitter account that I recommend everybody go to. But we got Jacob Turner on. Jacob, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, man, Jim, I appreciate you having me on. Really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, I saw some of your content and I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So I sent you the D, I slid into your DMs and, and here we are now. First, who are you? What is your business? And can you talk Anything around size of the team or the company, any metrics just so people have a flavor for it? Yeah. So just to give you a 30 second background, because I think it leads better into what our business is today. But I played professional baseball for 11 years from the time I was 18 to the time I was 29. When I got done playing baseball, um, I've always loved personal finance. So moved into that industry, realized I was a really bad employee and that I really wanted to build something more specific. So we started our firm, which is today JL Strategic Wealth. And really what we do is we help athletes and entrepreneurs navigate everything around money. So that firm started at the beginning of 2021. And really the goal of our firm from day one has been to build what I would describe as like a small giant, like a truly boutique firm that serves a specific group of clients in a really meaningful way. So as we sit today, we have three folks directly on the team. And the way that we've tried to build the firm out is to truly focus on strategic partnerships. So a lot of our a lot of our work with families, which I'm sure we'll dive into, it revolves around coordinating a lot of the different aspects of their financial lives. So as I view it, not always the best person is the person down the hall from you. So how can we help build out those strategic partnerships, which is what we've been focused on really the past two years. Okay, that's cool. I want to get into it because I want to talk about if I can resurrect my NBA career, how you can help me either be like LeBron and start my own like tequila line, if that's the right way to invest my money, or if I just do it in the S&P. But before we get into that, I want to dig into the fact that you like, you pay, you played in the major leagues, you were drafted. Give more color. What was your life like before doing this? And I'm also interested, there's always like, I'm a huge basketball fan, though. It's around like the 
welcome to the NBA moment where you get dunked on by somebody or you're carrying someone's bags. I, I think that's such a cool experience to have had. Would love to learn more about it. Yeah. So my, I got drafted in 2009. I was the ninth overall pick in the 2009 draft. So as an 18 year old, I had the blessing of coming into a lot of money and also like the potential curse of coming into a lot of money in a really short period of time, which has really helped shape kind of my views on life and money. And when you talk about like that, welcome to the big leagues moment, I can remember. So as an 18 year old, because I signed this big contract, I signed what's called a major league deal. So in baseball, when you go to spring training, they have minor league spring training and they have major league spring training. So what we see on TV is major league spring training, but on the minor league side, there's like another 150 guys that are going to go to different affiliates during the year. But because I signed this big contract at a high school, I'm this 18 year old that gets to go to major league spring training. So I went from pitching in high school to six months later, I'm in the clubhouse with like guys like Justin Berlander and Miguel Cabrera and Max Scherzer, guys that like I had watched on TV. And to be honest with you, Jim, like I was a little starstruck. Like I felt like an imposter. Like I remember walking into the clubhouse the first day and just thinking, am I in the right place? Like, right, like through <laughs> my locker, like I'm really, I'm really doing this thing. And I think one of my, you know, one of my like welcome to the big leagues moments in spring training was. I remember the very first day of spring training. So this was my very first professional day, right? And I want to say stretch was at, say, 9 o'clock. And I, I roll in at like 8.30. Like, I'm an 18-year-old. I don't really know any different. And like, all the media is there. These guys have been there what seems like for hours. And I'm like thinking in my head, like, why is everybody there so early? Well, sure enough, like everybody gets there like two and a half hours before stretch to like warm up and get ready. And here I am, this 18-year-old this first-round pick rolling in 30 minutes before stretch. So needless to say, I definitely got a little bit of a talking to by some of the guys. Kind of someone giving you a heads up, it's like that's that's setting you up to fail. So like how big was the contract that you signed when, you, when you're 18? Yeah, so I signed a contract that paid me a $5.5 million signing bonus, and it ended up paying me about $7 million in total. So it was enough money that my... Dad, who was a small business owner at the time, and my mom, who was a CPA at the time, were like, okay, you should, you know, bypass college for the time being and and go do this thing. Because for me, you know, education had always been something like in my family, like we're gonna go to college. So I was my thought process was always like, I'm gonna go do that thing. And then I have all this money in front of me. I have this great opportunity with with the Tigers. And, you know, it just ended up being a better opportunity to take that route. That's awesome. So you, you're 18, you get this $5 million signing bonus. Are you just YOLOing it or what, what do you do? Or it sounds like you have a good head on your shoulders and parents that are like, okay, don't go clubbing. It's let's do something smart with this. What, was that at all like a tough struggle or were, were you making the right moves from, from day one? Yeah. You know, I can still remember my mom sitting me down with an Excel document and being like, you know, Jacob, I know this is how much you signed for, but here's about how much is going to come out because of taxes. And here's how much you could actually spend. And I was like, that's it. Like of all this money I signed for, I can only spend this much. So I think from the start, I had a good sense around it. And I'll tell you, Jim, like, I think for a lot of athletes, you either go like one of two ways. You either spend everything and you're just like, to your point, like totally YOLOing it. Like, all right, let's just live this thing up. Or you go the other way and you're like, all right, I just want to make sure I don't blow this so that I don't spend any of it. And I definitely fell into more of the camp of, I just don't want to be the athlete that's down the road. That's like, and I had this contract that was going to pay me all this money and now I have nothing to show for it. I didn't spend a lot of it. And I spent a lot of my early years with baseball, really trying to educate myself around personal finance. Like I had people, I built out a team of, of folks to help me, but I really wanted to understand what was going on. 
So this kind of leads to your career with what you've built now. Like you are interfacing with people in the major leagues. Where is it going well with people and managing their finances? And are you seeing where it's not going well, where they're not getting advice or they're getting the wrong advice? Were you seeing that firsthand? Yeah, I think the two things that I would say is one of the biggest issues that I see, Jim, is that our my industry in particular, the wealth management industry, produces product first, advice second. And really what it should be is advice first and product second. And the way that I describe that is like the product, whether it's an investment product, an insurance solution, no matter what it is for your life, right? It's just the fuel that you have to help you get moving on the plan that you're on. But if you don't have the plan in the first place and you try to implement a product, generally it's not in your best interest. And generally the advisor is probably going to make a lot of money on it. And, and honestly, that was my own experience, right? Like I had these people and some of the stuff that was going on, I was like, man, that doesn't seem like that's maybe the best thing for me. And as I started doing more research and asking more questions, wait a second, is that a good thing for me? And it, it was definitely a learning experience. So I would say first and foremost, helping to educate people, whether it's an athlete or an entrepreneur, right? Like it is my job to help them be the guide, make help them make the good financial decisions. But if they're not educated and engaged on what we're talking about, then, you know, that's when all of a sudden you start running into issues. Gotcha. That, that makes total sense. And so... At what point in your professional baseball career did you realize, okay, I, like it's time to hang it up? And then how did that lead to kind of a career in person or in wolf management? Yeah. So for me, you know, I think sports is a lot like entrepreneurship in the sense that you have to love the day-to-day grind of whatever you're doing. You have to love the process. It doesn't, it's not to say that like everything that we do in our lives as entrepreneurs today, we love the process of, but like you're, you become such an expert at the process. You become such an expert at doing the things behind the scenes that nobody's ever going to see that ultimately give you the chance to succeed, right? And as an athlete, like all those things, as a pitcher specifically, it's all those little things, whether it's throwing bullpens in the offseason, working out, doing shoulder exercises, you know, mobility work. If you're not committed to doing all those little things and you're not 100% bought in that I'm going to do everything I need to do, you're going to have no chance of competing at that level. And for me, in 2019, my last year, I'd actually played overseas in South Korea. At the time, I had three little kids. We had a fourth on the way. And I'd, my heart just wasn't in it from the sense of, I don't want to leave my family for five months out of the year. And my heart just wasn't in the day-to-day grind, the day-to-day process that it takes to compete at that level. And I felt like for me, if my heart wasn't in it, it was time to move on, right? Like I'm taking the spot that somebody else should have. So for me, it was a, and it was a little bit easier transition for me because I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, man, that that's a huge sacrifice. And, and you have such different perspective when you have kids. Even now with work travel, I used to fly all the time. And now I'm like, Zoom, or I'm not going to go to it because you, your priorities change. So you, you kind of realize, okay, now's the time. Walk me through like your path to getting into wealth management. And then when you kind of decided, hey, I want to do something on my own. Yeah, so I think that, you know, for me, the path really starts at the beginning, right? As an 18-year-old, I come into all this money, I hire a financial advisor. My parents had never had financial advisors. So like we sit down with this guy, he's kind of saying terms like, I don't really understand. But like, he looks like a good guy. seems like a nice guy. And I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll sign up. And throughout that process, I am, you know, reading personal finance books, educating myself. I'm finding resources online. 
And I started asking better questions. And one thing leads to another. I end up moving on from that advisor and go to another advisor. And then I realized like, he's not really giving me like the value that I want for the fee I'm paying. So I go to another advisor. And I would say probably halfway through my career, Jim, like I realized, you know, I had this career trajectory of I'm here, I get drafted and I go like basically straight to the big leagues. I got 20 years old, I'm in the big leagues. And I'm thinking like, all right, I'm going to play for the next 15 years and make $200 million. And the path didn't go like that. Like five years later, here I am thinking like, all right, my career at any point could be over as a 25 year old. So it ended up being a blessing for me because I realized early on that, hey, I should really start thinking about what are some passions I have outside of baseball, outside of sports. And personal finance has always been that. Like I was always the guy in the locker room asking guys like, oh, who are you investing with? You know, what are you paying in fees? How are you investing? And it would always be the same answer. It'd be like, oh, I got a guy. And if you ask a question like one layer deeper, it'd be like, well, I really, I really don't know what's going on. So my passion has always been around helping to educate people around personal finance. And when I got done, I started working for a really great firm that was actually here in St. Louis, a multifamily office. So a multifamily office just means that we work with multiple families to help coordinate their entire financial life from investments, insurance, to cash flow, to risk management, to estate planning. And I realized one, I'm not a great employee from the sense of I really love building stuff. I really love driving the bus. And two, I also felt very passionate that personal finance in general, and especially the advice that's given to the general public. If you go to most wealth management firms, they would say like, hey, if you have X amount of dollars, you can be a really good client. And really what they're saying is like, you can pay my fee, so we'll take you on as a client. And I felt like the advice that we should be giving should be so specific that these families that we're working with are getting five to 10X the value of whatever the fee they're paying. So for us, the only folks that we work with in our business today are athletes and entrepreneurs. So the way I describe it is like, it's folks that are either hitting the J curve in their business or people that are coming into what I call sudden wealth. So it's this opportunity that, wow, like I put in all the work and now all of a sudden, like this thing has really hit and I want to make sure I don't mess it up. So that, that was kind of the transition from 18 year old Jacob, the baseball player getting drafted to getting done playing and then moving on to this entirely new journey. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I hear you all and being at a company and then realizing, okay, I, I can't do it. I I need to do do my own thing. And so what's super, what really got my attention is, you know, this former athlete saw a problem with wealth management, personal finance, or how people run their family offices. So creating something that's different. So can you talk about like, whenever you're launching this, you know, what are some things you lean into that people were doing wrong or things that they were doing that you wanted to do differently, whether it's how they're, you kind of brought the good point around people do products first and then advice. Whereas you're saying, no, advice first, then find the right products. Don't just give a product because you get a higher fee on it. Like what what are some of those things that, that you didn't like? Because I liked your positioning as well as the kind of anti-wealth manager's wealth manager. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, one of the biggest issues that I see is again, going back to the idea that like the advice is generally very general advice. It's like, okay, in your situation, you're making X amount of dollars. So here's the solution for people that are making X amount of dollars. And I can always remember Jim, like when I would go in and meet with my advisor, I'd always ask the same question. I'd be like, all right, well, how am I doing? And the answer would always be the same. It's like, all right, you're doing good. Like I'm the best market timer in the history of the world. I started investing in 2009. So market's gone basically straight up for a decade, right? And I'm saving money, I'm investing money. So everything's good. But really the question I was asking was, hey, in my situation where I'm coming into all this money at a really young age, how do I determine like 
what should I be spending versus what should I be saving? Because for me, the goal has never been to, and I joke with our clients about this, but like the goal is not to die with the most amount of money. Nobody gets an award for dying with the most amount of money. I want to figure out like, how can I best maximize the money that I have to live the life that I want to live? So whether that's contributing to other people's lives, contributing to my family's lives, going on experiences, how can I best utilize this money as a tool to get me where I want to go? So because I, I, what I don't want to be is 65, 70 years old and say, you know, Jim, I did everything the right way and I got this huge bucket of money set aside for the next 10 years before I die. And for me, when I think about the clients that we're serving, they're facing that same problem. And a lot of times the advice they're getting isn't very specific. And the reason why it's not specific is because the person they're talking to has never walked in their shoes. They don't really know how they feel. When you're an athlete and you're coming into this big contract, it's very hard to articulate to somebody else like what it feels like. When you're an entrepreneur that's worked for 10 or 20 years, now you're exiting your business. Yeah, certainly there's like X's and O's, strategic things that everybody can tell you to do. But like the idea that you're going to wake up on Monday morning, have more money in your bank account than you probably ever thought you would, but not have that same purpose and drive that you had Friday before you sold your business is a huge contributing factor to like how I think about money in general, right? Like when I got done playing baseball and I transitioned out, it's like everybody for the last 12 years has been like, oh, what's your name? And then what do you do, right? Like, that's the society we live in. So for me, it's, it's really making that finance personal for the individuals we're working with and helping them understand like, hey, there's a lot more than just the strategic work, which even that, right? Like being specific about tax planning is vastly different for somebody that owns a business than somebody that, wor that works in a big corporation. No, very cool. And I like... I kind of struggle because my relationship with wealth management and personal finance has very much changed where I, I was kind of like to do yourself or self person reading Ramit Sethi. And then as I had a business and then my own personal finance, I wanted to get a little bit more sophisticated. We have like an interim CFO and I was using a investment advisor that I actually recently just, just paused on just because I kind of did want someone that has that CEO's perspective. Because where I would struggle is like, what's my strategy? It's like, okay, for personal finance, we have a certain cash balance we always want to have for the emergency fund. I have two kids, we invest in their college savings. And then I have like my 401k, my wife's stuff. And then it's like, okay, with the rest of this stuff, what do I do? Do I just throw it to the S&P index? Or do I do a score on my risk preference and what I do? Or... Do I take some of it and do angel investing? And like, again, we have a startup studio and a part of me is like, should I just be investing in that with the extra capital? Because that's where you can have wealth creation versus wealth preservation. And I just have more questions than answers. And you also said something interesting around this idea of a family office, because I really had no idea what that meant. And you and I were talking beforehand, we're both in an entrepreneurship group, EO, and someone came in and talked about the family office and you could probably define it much better than me. But where it clicked was, it's like, oh, it's the person that connects the dots on your personal finances, your insurance policies, your tax accounting, and like all these other things to really have that holistic view. And I was like, oh, I see some great value in, in that. And so I guess my my question for you as I'm, as I'm just rambling here is like, Whenever you hear these CEOs come to you or athletes come to you that are asking these questions on what to do after the baseline, how do you help walk them through that right strategy or how they should be even approaching this? Because you also said something I liked around what is the lifestyle you want? Because 
for my wife and I, we don't really want things. We want experiences. So it's like, I want to have the biggest budget to go on family vacations and, and bring all the grandparents and stuff. But I, I don't know how you manage these people that are clearly like either type A or are really strong at what they do. And then you have to be the authority on, on finance. Like, how do you manage all of that? Yeah, I think the the first question that I would say is we want to make sure we understand like where are they trying to go with their with their personal finances and to your point Jim like a lot of people the folks that we're working with have enough money to pay their bills like they're not they're past the point of paying their bills and they're really saying for an entrepreneur particularly they're saying like well how much money should I th- I call it throwing money over the wall the idea that like your business is here and your personal finances are here and there's a wall here mm-hmm. and it's very hard as an entrepreneur to throw money over the wall because the one thing that you can touch and control and see from the day-to-day is your business. So the first thought, well, I'm just going to always take all the money and invest it back in my business. And what I would say is that can certainly be a way to generate extremely high rates of return, right? The IRRs should be higher in your business than anything else. If it's not, it shouldn't be your main thing, right? You should be doing something else. But it's also understanding, hey, if the business went away tomorrow, do I have enough money outside of that to continue living my lifestyle? And the reason why I personally think that's important is it gives you so much flexibility and peace of mind in your business to know that, hey, no matter what happens with my business, I'm good. Like we've worked really hard. And the last thing that you want is to be 20 years down the road and you're like, okay, like the only way that I can ever stop is if I sell this business and I get the number I exactly want. I think that's why ultimately like a lot of businesses don't sell because they're not selling based on what they're worth. They're selling based on what the entrepreneur needs. So starting from a baseline of saying, what do you actually need? And then outside of that saying, okay, what are your passions outside of that? Because, you know, I think for me, for my wife and I, I'll speak for us, we don't live this huge lifestyle. Much of it is I want to have these experiences, but not only do I want to have these experiences because we've been going on cool trips for a while, but one of the things I always struggled with was like, I'm on this cool trip. It's going to cost me, let's say $10,000 to go there. And maybe all in, it's going to cost me $20,000. So a lot of money, right? I'm on this trip yet. Like I feel this inherent, should I be spending all this money on this trip? (laughs) And I think that's really where I view the role of, you know, whether you call it the financial advisor, but really that strategic partner for you that's like, hey, you guys worked really hard. You should feel really confident that you guys are great to go on this trip. I want you guys to have a great time. And that's what I always felt like was missing in my conversations with advisors was like, Nobody was giving me that additional confidence and peace of mind. Like in my head, I'm like, I can just go out and buy like one index fund and I could probably be good to go. But like, I really want somebody who's a partner in that. And to your second point, one of the biggest value adds for me and the way that we built the business around it is I've always built the business around saying, if I was a client of our firm, would I be willing to pay the fees that we charge? And one of the biggest things that like I found value in was my wife is very much the non-CFO spouse. So she doesn't, I don't want to say she doesn't care about the money, but she doesn't know the day-to-day operations of like, where are all the pieces? How do they all fit together? How does like our estate plan match up with our insurance, match up with our investments and cash flow and bank accounts and all that stuff. But really having that one person that's pulling all those pieces together in the event that something were to happen to me, there's one point person that's like, hey, I know where all the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where the value is. And I could I could talk for days about some of the experiences I've had with maybe a really great CPA and a poor advisor and the CPA says, well, you know, Jacob, why didn't you do this tax planning move? Mm-hmm. And I go back to the advisor and he's like, well, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? And I'm like, <laughs> why, why, aren't you, why aren't you guys talking to each other? So when I, the way that I view it 
you know, in our businesses, ultimately you need to have that one point person that, that you can rely on for everything in your financial life. Yeah. That's kind of looking out the heads of your back as you're connecting all the things. Cause even recently, like I'd have the advisor and the tax team talk and it's like, oh, wow, if we do this, there's big savings here. It's like, yeah, let, let's do that. And so yeah. that that's where I was very impressed with what you do and the idea of, of family offices, which usually aren't available unless you're at a, a certain level, right? And of, of income, because it just doesn't make sense with what it would cost to, to manage that. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double well, you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part. It costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service, their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. Okay, so I want to talk about the business side. So you launched this on your own. I mean... How do you get your first client, your first five or 10 clients? Because that's a lot of pressure. Like, hey, guys, you know, have this new service. Come give me all your money. Because there's probably a switching cost yeah. with it. Because everybody's got their guy. They've got whatever. Because I always think through, we work with a lot of companies. And if the switching cost is high, it can be really hard to acquire customers. Or are you going after people that are earlier in their journey where you can educate them? Like, how did you get those first five or 10 customer clients? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. And one that only a true entrepreneur would ask because every, <laughs> every true entrepreneur knows at the beginning it's hard. And if anybody tells you it's not hard, they're lying to you. <laughs> when we left in 2021, we left with no clients and we had the, a non-compete, we had a non-solicit. So it was like, well, hey, if we're going to do this thing, we're like starting over. And, you know, I think for me, step one was just humbling myself and just saying, hey, I've realized I'm starting at the bottom of the mountain again, and I'm okay with that, right? I've done this in sports. I know if I create a good process and I can create a message, like I know I can deliver the value. It's just how can I craft the message in a way that people will understand that and also view me in that light. So for me, a lot of it came down to, okay, like how do I just go back to the very basics and create a target list of people that, and what I will tell you is like, for me, one of the biggest value adds was having that targeted market, right? If I said anybody and everybody that has a certain amount of money could become a client now, it's just like overwhelming. It's like, all right, well, who do I target? And like, how do I mm -hmm. target them? And what should the messaging be? But because it was, hey, athletes and entrepreneurs. Okay, so step one, what is the message? Step two, where are those people hanging out? And step three, like, how could I get in front of them and be able to show them the value? Because one of the things for me that I realized when I was, you know, I used a couple different advisors before I became an advisor. And I was like, all these people all say the same thing, but then I get to the end of it and they haven't really shown me anything they're actually going to do. It's just kind of like, 
okay, like this sounds good. I like Jacob. You know, I think he'd be good, but like I'm planning for like the unknown in 20 years. So the way that we really built out the process was to be able to really show them the value. Like here's everything we're going to do. And at the end, like they can take that deliverable and they can just go implement it on their own or they can say, Hey, we, we want to have a partner. We really want you to execute on this for us. So a lot of it was crafting that entire process. And then the hard work was just being consistent about getting in front of folks. There's no easy way to, to convince somebody that you're the right person, and especially in our business, right? It's a huge blessing when somebody comes to us and they say, Hey, Jacob, like everything that, you know, I've worked for and my spouse has worked for, we're entrusting to you. What a huge blessing, but it's also a massive transfer of trust. So mm-hmm. for us to build that transfer of trust, you know, it, it takes a long time generally. Which we've kind of found some ways to shorten that curve now, but that's what it looked like at the beginning, and it was certainly not easy. Yeah. So are you like, like kind of bottoms up approach, mainly reaching out to people, be like, "Hey, we're launching this, and you guys would be a great fit." Or did you lean more into athletes out of the gate or entrepreneurs? Like, who were those first customers or clients? Yeah, I leaned a little bit more into athletes because one, I had some relationships that. I knew some folks I felt like I could probably help. And then from the entrepreneur world, like in 2021, like how I view entrepreneurship today in 2023 versus how I viewed it in 2021, my eyes have just been so open to like the amazing group of people out there that are building businesses that you've never heard of that are doing Mm -hmm. great things. I didn't really know in 2021, like where are those people hanging out? Like, how do I get in front of those people? Right. As you know, Jim, like you can be in a coffee shop and you can have a coffee shop entrepreneur that's just sitting down, like wearing shorts and a t-shirt and like, he's crushing the game. And I didn't realize that in 2021. So a lot of those early clients for me were, were athletes. And, you know, I think as it's really expanded in terms of how we, how we get in front of clients today, we do some fun things to get in front of prospects. I do some fun things to try to differentiate ourselves in terms of getting that initial meeting, because, you know, I live in a a space that is often commoditized and frankly, my opinion on it is a lot of people would be better off without an advisor than the advisor that they currently have today. Wow. Interesting. And so leaning into like athletes in the early days, as you're growing now, what's your top priority? What are you thinking through with growth? Is it leaning into content marketing or is it like other partnerships? Because it's it's pretty impressive, like being able to start this from scratch. What are you thinking for the future as far as what could work to really get this to the, the level you want it to be? Yeah. So for us, if you think about the the wealth management industry as a whole, it's really relied almost solely on developing strategic relationships with other professionals. So whether it's CPAs or state planning attorneys, you get a few referrals from them, you start building your client base, your client base then starts referring other folks that they know because they feel like you're doing really good work for them. And over the course of like 20 years, you build yourself like a nice little book of business and you go on your way. And really what, what we've said is, it, it started with that, question of where are the people that we would do our best work for living and really what where they're living is like on different social platforms whether it's twitter Mm -hmm. instagram youtube and how do we get the educational content out there for them to be able to see that there's something different in this space that actually relates to them so as we look in terms of growth i mean it's almost all content marketing now in terms of what the growth looks like Mm -hmm. twitter is my main my main education platform where, you know, and a lot of it is I'm just putting out like what I do. I started a newsletter where I just write about what I do. And the goal of that is just to be able to show people 
hey, here's like what I do. Like, you don't have to do it, but here's the reason behind what I'm doing. And I, I think a lot of that comes from my own personal experiences, Jim. I worked with an advisor one time and I had this super complex portfolio and all these different funds. And I asked him one time, I was like, well, what are you investing in? And he was like, oh, I just invest in these few ETFs. And I was like, okay, so like, yeah. why am I <laughs> investing in this? He's like, oh, well, that's what our, you know, proprietary data shows. And, and I was like, okay, but isn't that costing me a lot of money to invest in that? Well, yeah, but I think for your situation, it makes sense. And I was like, but for your situation, it doesn't. And it's not to say that like, I should be invested the same way as our clients because I get that on Twitter. I get that. But from a baseline standpoint, I think that's what most folks miss is that the people that they're working with either don't have any money to invest as the advisor or the advisor is invested far differently than how he's telling his clients, which is one of my biggest issues with the industry as a whole. Yeah. Well, I think that's like with both your personas, you fit both of them. You're an athlete and you're also an entrepreneur, right? So you can really kind of sit side by side and be very aligned. Because I love it when you can market to a persona that is yourself because it's much easier, you know, the language to speak and you can be much more authentic. So for, for people thinking through this, like, hey, when I get to 2 million in wealth, I want to work with Jacob. What would be some of the stuff you would be recommending? And you can even take a use case like mine where I've got two kids so thinking through that. I have a business. I thought you did a really good job of laying out because it's like, yeah, my business beats the S&P 500. So let me invest in my business over yeah. the S&P. But is that the right thing? And you kind of mentioned some of those deliverables. What, what are some of those that really raise the eyebrows on your clients for the, wow, I see the value. It kind of earns, earns their trust. Yeah, I think a lot of the folks that come to us are thinking from a product-based outcome because that's like the the world we live in, right? If you turn on CNBC, they're talking about like what stock's going to go up next and, you mm -hmm. know, what thing's going to go down and, you know, what insurance solution you should buy. And then when they come to us, a lot of it revolves around just asking questions and better understanding, like, where are you trying to go? Mm -hmm. Really what, what my goal is as a partner for these families is to provide peace of mind. And the only way that I can provide peace of mind is to understand where they're trying to go and get them better educated. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see, and I see this a lot with athletes, but I think it's also can happen with entrepreneurs is they almost delegate too much. And I'll explain what I mean. If you delegate your finances so much that you don't really understand what's going on, and a lot of people do this their whole life. They get to become 50 years old, they have a big pile of money, and they're like, no, I, just, I got a guy. And I'm not here to tell you that's wrong. I'm here to tell you what my own personal experiences were with that. I've seen people do that, and they've They've never really made a good financial decision on their own. They've just been so reliant on delegating to somebody else. And what our job is, is to really help educate the families we're working with so then they can be the ones that are making the good financial decision in their life. Because the products and solutions that we would say for your family, Jim, are going to be far different than the products and solutions for my family. Because like our end goal, like what we're trying to get to is going to be different, right? You're going to be shaped by your own personal experiences with money. I'm going to be shaped by my own personal experience with money. I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a situation where, you know, somebody's worried about, hey, if I sell my, if I can't sell my business for what it's worth, what happens? They're worried about that because like their dad had a successful business and that's exactly what happened to him. Mm -hmm. So he has a, a frame of mind around money that is very personal to him that somebody else might not have because they didn't experience that same thing. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I feel like I have that too. So I'm very cautious 
But I also think that could be a limiting factor with how I look at, well, at least my business growth, where I could be investing more, take out a line of credit and just go for it. But I kind of think of it as I'm playing the the long game where if this company goes under, I have to get a real job and I don't want to have to do that. So it's a little bit of a more of a slow approach to growth where it's more cautious. But I think it's like the, the, there's there may be a therapy session I need to go through to get over that. But if you have that comfort with where you're at with your personal finance, you have those guardrails, it could maybe change some of those things you've baked into your head around money and finance. I'm sure part of what you do could be a little bit of a, a therapist, especially if you're working with athletes where they're coming into life-changing money and just how to navigate that. Yeah, I think to, to your point, I think that's something that I've struggled with, Jim, is just the magic of thinking big. Like, I think you, you've experienced this certainly in EO, and I know I have, where this concept of you see some of these other entrepreneurs that are doing things on another level, and you're like, what, should I be thinking that big? And I think that's, <laughs> even, even as we've grown our business, you know, I first started out thinking like, okay, this will be a nice like lifestyle business, and we'll prioritize income. And as we've continued to grow, I've loved building the business, and I'm thinking like a lot bigger now with the business than I was two years ago. And to your point, I, I I can certainly resonate with the idea of like, all right, well, like, how big do you go, and like, how much do you actually bet on this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's something that I constantly struggle with. Even with our little startup CEO, we like made a new hire, and it's like, okay, they'll cut into margins, but I think the ROI is there. It, it's it's all a big guessing game, I guess. And I I want to talk a little bit about EO. So you and I are both in this entrepreneurship group. Like for me, when I first started the company, I wasn't in any groups or communities. It's just all in my head. I'd be up late at night, and that was my interaction with other founders. Is like talking to. Jim at midnight versus Jim at 6 a.m. And then when I started getting into an entrepreneurship group, it, it was really helpful. What's been some of the biggest benefits you've had with talking to other CEOs or business owners that are kind of going through what you're going through? You know, I think as a as an entrepreneur, you have to be humble enough to realize that you don't have all the answers and that there's going to always be something that you're experiencing that you've never experienced before. And Although Google and artificial intelligence can give us all the answers online, it's how do I connect those answers to, to my own situation and my own life? And one of the things that I've really valued about EO is just the, the sharing of experiences, right? Nobody's here to give you advice, but they are here to share experiences. And those experiences all, oftentimes have either a good result or a bad result. And then you can take that information and say, okay, based on you know, Jim's experience, Maybe I should maybe I should turn left when I thought I should turn right. I think just having those other people that you can be like minded with has been really beneficial for me. I'm, I think you would probably agree with this. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the idea that when you talk to somebody else that didn't start the business, it's very hard for them to relate to what you're going through and what you're saying. Like they can understand, like when you say, "Oh no, it's hard," and they can understand when you say, "Oh no, like my mind never shuts off." But do you really understand what I mean? Like it doesn't <laughs> shut off at five o'clock on Friday. Just like perpetually goes. And then I think also, you know, the other thing that that has been helpful for me is what does life outside of my business look like? and be able to talk to people about, you know, how do I how do I show up for my family and show up for my wife the same way that I show up for my business? Oh yeah. And that's a hard switch to turn off sometimes, especially me when I work from home a lot of times. All of a sudden the kids are in the door. I'm like, oh wait, okay take the the business hat off and put the dad hat on. But it's if you have those fire bur fires burning, it, it, it's hard to do that. And, and to your point, like what's interesting about our entrepreneurship group is that 
it's not about giving advice. You're actually not allowed to because I could have a problem like, oh, I don't know how to manage my personal finances. And if Jacob went on our form, he would clearly have the answers. But it's not like, oh, stop doing that. Start doing this. Because if you do that, you don't create this culture of like vulnerability and honesty. And so instead, it's about these experience shares where it's like, okay, in a similar situation, this is what I was going through and what happened. And that just it's such a better way to communicate. And I, I think it's something that we've even tried to do in our company that I think can can have a big impact. Yeah, I just think having folks in your life that you can truly be open and authentic with and share the real stuff that's going on behind the scenes that nobody else sees and knowing that it's a space that isn't going to get out, right? Because we all live in a world where everybody's worried about, oh, if I tell somebody that, are they going to go share it with somebody else? And you know, I would just encourage any entrepreneur out there to find find like-minded people to be around, whether it's a formal group or not. It's been super helpful for me. No, no, same here. Well, one question that I always like to ask is, what is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you in your professional career? This is a simple response, but I would say just responded. And I'll give you an example. So I was playing professional baseball everybody would respond to any request I had, right? If I reach out to somebody and I, they realize I'm a professional baseball player, they're generally going to respond. When I got done playing professional baseball and I'm this new entrepreneur with this business that is just getting off the ground, getting some of those people to respond was not so easy. I can think of a couple people that responded to emails. One guy who like nothing has come of it other than we had a couple phone calls and like he just gave me some advice that was really helpful. And he didn't need to give that to me. Like he had a successful business he was running and he just took time out of his day, like 15 minutes, to like have a phone call with me. And like, I remember that. And like, it's always stuck with me to the point that I've always told myself that, Hey, Jacob, just always remember when you're down the road, like if somebody reaches out with genuine, you know, Hey, can you help me with this issue? And I think I can help them and I have time to help them try to help them, you know, because that it just went a long way in my business, realizing that like, hey man, there's like really good people out there to help you because entrepreneurship in general can feel really lonely. They can look really cool at the tip of the iceberg when you see like the success, but <laughs> underneath that, there's certainly some lonely days when you're laying in bed thinking like, what is tomorrow going to look like? Yeah. It's like, why did I do this? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. Literally, I remember like starting out and growing it, I was, I was like, I would just do some free one-off things to help. And this guy was at a startup or at a venture firm. And I like emailed him like, Hey, you need any free growth work for your, your portfolio? He actually responded, like, go talk to the CEO. She led to an engagement, what led to an introduction at Techstars, which led to this domino effect, all because he responded. I actually talked to him like, a few months ago, I was like, thank you. You don't know what that did. He's like, I don't even remember that. But the fact that he like just defaulted to responding, I, I think is is huge. But it's so funny. That that's a really, really good point. Yeah, I know for me that that's something that's always resonated with me and something I hope to hope to carry on. Well, very cool. Well, if people will want to learn more about, you know, jail strategic wealth, or if they want to follow you or get more of your content, where can we send them? Yeah. So I'm most active on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All my handles are the same. The Sudden Wealth. I usually respond to folks, most folks on Twitter, if they send me a, send me a message. And I also have a newsletter if you're interested in learning about what I'm doing in my own personal financial life. 
Yeah. And again, I cannot recommend it enough. The content's awesome. And that's a pretty strong handle as well. Jacob, dude, thank you so much for the time. I know you've got a lot going on. It was fun to kind of pick your brain and get some free financial advice. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Well, thank you. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.